It's so scary, we dare you to see The Monsters Crash the Pajama Party, the first movie ever filmed in horror vision, Hollywood's latest miracle. You'll scream as fiendish movie monsters actually become alive, then crash right out of the screen, go into the audience, and carry screaming girls from their seats right back into the picture to become part of the movie. We warn you, horror vision is not 3D. The movie monsters become real flesh and blood. Be sure to see The Monsters Crash the Pajama Party in horror vision and color. What kind of a sick school is this? Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. You're gonna need a bigger boat. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious, and don't call me Shirley. You got spunk. I hate spunk. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. Oh, righty then. How you doing? Back off, man. I'm a scientist. Don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Say hello to my little friend. I love to celebrate from in the morning. What are you people? On dope? Stop whining. I got a crap on deck that can choke a donkey. Hey! Who is your daddy? I'm sorry, but all questions must be submitted in writing. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Can I do that? I'll be back. A dynamite! Up your nose when you grab the phone. A what? I'm sailing! I'm sailing! Groovy. You, you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it. Pull it down. Love means never having to say you're sorry. Here's looking at you, kid. We got no food. We got no jobs. Our pets' heads are falling off! Go to the coast. We get together. Have a few laughs. Hear that, Elizabeth? <laughs> I'm coming to join you, honey. I'm not a doctor, but I play one on TV. I love it when a plan comes together. What we do is if we need that extra push over the cliff, you know what we do? Put it up to 11. 11, exactly. One louder. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These go to 11. We're on a mission from God. Hello and welcome to yet another fun-filled episode of Then Is Now Podcast. I am your host, Rigor. Uh, Quite a few episodes ago, I talked about something called spook shows, which is an almost forgotten form of entertainment, where you would go to a movie theater after the films have been shown, and there would be a stage magician who would put on an amazing show. Monsters would come out of the screen... There would be all kinds of crazy things going on, seances and more. And these shows were wildly popular from the 1930s to the early 1970s. Well, they're not completely forgotten. Today we have a guest on the show named Keith Stickley, who runs a show called Dr. Scream's Spook Show Revival, in which he takes the spook show and performs it for a modern audience. Keith is an amazing guest. And we had a lot of fun talking about his spook shows, the history of spook shows, and his current revival show that he does. So sit back and get ready to learn about something that maybe you haven't heard of and learn about a cool piece of entertainment that you probably never knew existed. Class is in session. I have a bad feeling about this. How could I possibly be expected to handle school on a day like this? Food fight! Hey, you in my class? 
I think you should consider transferring to shop class. Now, now, very few students are severely injured in shop class. Bueller. When you were in school. Bueller. Did you ever cut class? Bueller. Yeah, I guess I did. Sure, most kids cut classes. Good, sign this. Um, he's sick. I get so lonely when I hear that third attendance bell ring and all my kids are not here. Seven years of college down the drain. Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life, son. You lack discipline. As long as I'm here, there will be no grades or gold stars or demerits. We're gonna have recess all the time. Woo! Go, play, and have fun now! You know, ever since I first learned about spook shows, I was fascinated by them. I was very disappointed to soon after learn that there weren't spook shows being put on anymore. Fortunately for us, there is someone out there who has brought back the spook shows in a big way. And I'm so excited to talk with our next guest. Joining me today is Keith Stickley, a.k.a. Dr. Scream. He's the brains behind Dr. Scream's spook show revival and is bringing the past into the present with his amazing spook shows that send you back in time with a nostalgic feel along with thrills and chills. Welcome to the show, Keith. How you doing, man? It's uh, it's great to uh, finally uh, meet you uh, via voice. I'm, I'm doing great. Excellent, excellent. Yes, I'm doing well, too. And like I said, we are so excited to have you here. Keith, you were kind enough to send us pictures from your show. So uh, what we're going to do after the recording and when this gets posted, we'll post them on our webpage in the section that we'll have this episode so people can see the pictures of your show. And they'll get to enjoy that. So can you describe to our audience exactly what a spook show is? Sure. So a spook show is kind of the forerunner to, to the uh, the modern haunted house. Basically what happened, uh, we're talking pre, pre-World War II, is uh, there, were, there were some enterprising performers who had an idea to hold uh, seance shows where you would communicate with the dead, that kind of thing. But unlike the sort of the Victorian seance shows of, you know, post post civil war, these had a decided more, um, more, more comedy bent, more entertaining, bent, uh, much more widespread appeal. I think, uh, I think Herman Weber was one of the first guys to uh, really, really jump into this. He was a Herman Weber was a magician and he wanted to do a show where uh, the lights would go out and ghosts and such would appear and uh, kind of scare an audience uh, for some fun. And right. it sort of it sort of evolved into this show where there was a, there was a traditional format. The traditional format was there would be a live performer, a magician, who would do about forty five minutes to an hour of magic. Then there would be what's called the blackout, where all the all the lights in the theater would go completely dark, and glowing monsters and creatures and stuff that were they would appear all over the audience and even kind of almost attack the audience in their seats. That's cool. And then the lights would come. Yeah. And then the lights would come on and there'd be nothing, nothing to see. Everything kind of vanished. And then they would, they would show a horror movie. And why, what made this so, so popular is well, a couple different things. Um, one, we're talking in the days before uh, there was widespread kind of curfews, right? So kids could stay out late at night and it was an excuse to stay out late at night. Uh, it was a great date night idea because a lot of teenagers would want to take dates in there. Cause when all the lights went out in the movie theater, uh, people got kind of handsy, right? right? That was kind of uh, that was kind of part of it, right? Yeah. And the the other thing which I find most interesting was uh, the the spook show was capitalism at its finest. So most of the movie theaters had movies running for regular show times, but they couldn't really show normal movies like at midnight when the theater. It, so the theater would be available. There'd be nothing going on in there. 
And a spook show was a chance for a theater to make a bunch of money, often just kind of cash off the books by bringing a, you know, an entertainer and a special kind of a special thing there and uh, and selling out shows at a time when they didn't have any other way to make money. So they'd be selling concessions and, and tickets right. and everything else. And uh, so it, it, it worked out really, really well for them. And uh, it went it went gangbusters from about the 40s all the way up through, I, I think, Philip Morris, uh, the original Dr. Evil. His last tour was in Canada in, uh, I want to say, like 72, 1974, something like that. But basically, by the night by 1970, 1971, here in in, Amer- in uh, America, um, the spook, spook show racket was all done. There was nothing you could do, you know back in the day all of the theaters used to have stages you know they're all movie palaces so even the local neighborhood theaters all still had stages they were big you know thousand seat 1200 seat rooms and those all got replaced by the the multiplexes that were just big giant boxes with hanging curtains around you know and no no place to really do these things so that that kind of signaled the end along with changing changing tastes curfews came into play you know a lot of absolutely terrible performers got into the the spook show business and kind of killed it so audiences kind of got sick of getting ripped off because a lot of these guys they, they call you know ghost masters spook show performers they would promise they would promise the world i mean they you know <laughs> they, they come see the reincarnation of marilyn monroe you know and uh, uh james dean and you know the ghost of james dean and and you know ghosts fly and and smack you in the butt and you know all, all this crazy <laughs> stuff and you know towards the end even the even the performers who were really had you know, who had big productions, they just kind of got lazy with it. And so the whole thing became kind of a farce of itself. And it just it kind of died out that way. Yeah, that's too bad. Because like I said, I, I was very disappointed when I first discovered them, probably in my late teens, early 20s, I was very excited. And then I realized that they were no more. And I'm sure there was a lot of competition with not only movie theaters and drive-ins, but also just the, the type of entertainment. My understanding was that like when something like The Exorcist came out, or even Night, Night of the Living Dead, it sort of changed the audience's taste. So they, these shows were a little bit tongue-in-cheek or cheesy to begin with, and then the audiences wanted something more sophisticated. Is that true? Yeah, I, I would say that that's a really fair assessment. Yeah, I mean, you know, campy is the number one uh, the, the number one way I could describe some of the some of the spook shows. Yes, um, it was it was very. It was very kind of burlesque, tongue-in-cheek. Not burlesque as far as people think burlesque today is stripping. Right, but uh, it's because they're, they're dumb. But it has nothing to do with it at all. Um, right. But yeah, it was it was very it was a very comical, funny, spooky, you know, kind of thing. And we kind of all just flipped the script on that as a society and went, "Hey, look, let's let's do gore and psychological, you know, thriller, horror, whatever." And that kind of taste did change. You know, it. Uh, you know yeah right so can you um can you tell us what it's like for your shows like um if i'm an audience member what should i expect when i go into one of dr scream's shows so we tried to well let me go back to kind of the beginning of how we got involved i i was a i'm an attorney now i have a law practice uh, up in michigan but uh, before I went to law school and, and did all that kind of stuff, I got a, a scholarship and stuff to, to it's sort of like lawyers being like my third career. Uh, I was I was a magician comedian and, and I did, you know, cruise ships and resorts and stuff all over the world. And 
I grew up kind of in the magic, you know, magician world, magician community. And one of my good friends growing up uh, as a kid was was a guy by the name of Philip Morris, who ended up founding uh, Morris Costumes. I mean, just one of the biggest costume wholesalers, you know, in the entire world. Right, right. Um, North Carolina. And he he kind of built his empire on on two things, literally a multi multi million dollar empire on two things. One was spook shows. And the other was um, the costume business, starting with the uh, the gorilla costumes. In fact, he he was the one that uh, that allegedly uh, sold and sewed up the uh, you know the famous Bigfoot uh, Bigfoot costume that was in the Patterson film. The Patterson film, yeah, yeah. And so uh, Phil actually grew up not far from the little town of Colon, Michigan, which is where I'm sitting right in right now. It's sort of known as the magic capital of the world and uh, home of Abbott's Magic Company. And Abbott's Magic Company had a big convention every year, and I used to go there as a kid. So that's where I got to meet Phil. And Phil would tell these amazing stories uh, after the conventions uh, while we're sitting in the bar at the at the Legion, um, American Legion here, t- telling me about his spook show days. And I, I was captivated as a kid. So fast forward uh, a bunch of years. It's, I think, 2003. I'm in Las Vegas going to UNLV uh, for college. And a good buddy of mine, uh, Scott Alexander, was a, a, a really well-known magician, did phenomenal on AGT and, and that. We were hanging out talking about spook shows and how it'd be cool to do one. And a Halloween convention came to town nice. and uh, Philip was going to be there and they were looking for some entertainment. So I pitched them the idea, hey, what if you guys had an old school spook show, you know, for, for the attendees? It's sort of like a one off thing. And they liked it and we had a budget for it. We put it together. And I spent, you know, a lot of hours on the phone with uh, with Phil Morris kind of talking about, you know, what these things were like and how to do them. And then we also had the book. Um, there's a great book that uh, Mark Walker uh, put out many, many years ago uh, called Ghost Masters. So we used that as some reference material. Mark Walker's a great guy. Yeah. Um, and uh, so we we put together the show and, and we did it. And, and Philip Morris was there. And he was laughing his rear off at the end of the show. <laughs> he came up to us and he was like, you know, he's like for a couple of kids who never got to see one of these things. He's like, you guys nailed it. He's like, that was, that was so much fun. And he was, and he was so kind and complimentary. And to us, it was, you know, you know it was like the Pope telling a, a priest, Hey kid, nice sermon. You know yeah. what I mean? It was just, uh, <laughs> it, was, it was really cool. And so um, it always kind of stayed in the back of my mind as something that I wanted to do again. I ended up moving back to the Midwest, you know, got married in that. And, and Scott went off and did, did cruise ships and is still just doing it. has an amazing career as an entertainer. And, um, you know, I, w- I was sitting around and I was like, man, I really wish I could do the spook show thing again. And my wife was, uh, she was like, well, why don't you just do it? So we took the notes that we, that, that we had kind of compiled note three and got back on the phone with Phil. And I, I ended up, you know, piecing together a show that I could pitch to performing arts centers. And because it was a throwback I and mean, we don't have the kind of modern, you know, you don't have the, the movie theaters that these things used to be in. Right. And so we, we pitched it as a nostalgic show and it was kind of hard to do because we kind of have to educate the audience. They don't know what a spook show by and large. Today's audiences don't know what a spook show is. Exactly. But a lot of grand we, what we learned was and, and finally saw a lot of grandparents were starting to bring their grandkids out because they remembered these things, you know, as a, as a teenager. So we went we did basically six no six seven seasons i think of you know five week tours through uh michigan and ohio uh doing this stuff and then two years ago uh we didn't take it out publicly we did two private events and then we were slated to do it actually this year again another uh short three-week public tour 
And then, uh, well, we all know what happened. We're all living in this whole, uh, the new COVID world. Right. So, you know, that did kind of put the, the proverbial nail in that coffin, but, um, we're, we're, we're aiming for 2021 as long as, you know, venues can open up and we don't have to deal with a bunch of, uh, you know, capacity restrictions and stuff. Right. So anyway, that, that, that's a long way to get to your original question. That's of, okay. I was going to ask you all that anyways. <laughs> yeah, it's good. When you, when you come to the original, when you come to our show, what do you see? And we basically took a look at and interviewed a lot of the guys that were still around, which there's not many. And we're like, what are, what are the greatest things? What are the most important elements in the live show, in the spook shows heyday? And I'm not talking like the later 60s and 70s when it was just, I mean, it, it turned out th- these things devolved into literally uh, a crusty old guy in a tuxedo doing three card tricks, telling four lame jokes and then turning out the lights and the audience would just get pissed. And right? didn't they also devolve into sort of a grand guignol with lots of blood and gore? Not not so much. I mean, there was some performers that did that, but really they, they it, it didn't really go that gruesome only because. As as movie th- as screens were starting to be permanently installed on these on the stages, they didn't really have the resources to do that kind of stuff. Now there was a couple one-off guys that were doing that kind of stuff, but by and large, uh, it would be a, a crusty old guy with with three three of the cheapest tricks he could buy from Abbott's here in Colon, you know, <laughs> and uh, and a couple bits of uh, washcloth, you know, that they stole from their mom's rag bin that they dipped in glow in the dark paint, and that was about it. I mean, oh, it was. Oh, it was it was rough. I mean, it was bad. It was really bad. Wow. Um, you know, and, and then the audiences got kind of hip to it. So they they like to bring in stuff like in the in the early to mid 60s. I mean, they would almost like attack the performers. One, one of the best spook show guys out there was a gentleman by the name of Roy Houston. He's buried here in, in Colon. Just a just a phenomenal guy. Just a great guy. He he worked with a guy, Jack Baker, Dr. Silkini who was by far probably the biggest spook show producer there was. Right. Silkini at the time actually had like nine different units on the road doing spook shows at the same time. He, he made spook shows into a multi-million dollar business. It was great. Wow. But, any, but anyway, um, Roy Houston's working for, uh, for, for, for Jack Baker, Dr. Silkini. And, um, you know, he, he tells stories about them coming off stage and, and then the stage looked like it was fruit salad. By the time the blackout happened, people would just be throwing eggs and fruit and all sorts <laughs> of stuff. I mean, just at the performers, just it was just it just evolved into mayhem and madness. You know, I mean, it was just this, it, they were destroying they were just destroying theaters. And and, um, you know, they had to start insuring the screens because the kids would come out just for a rowdy time at night. Right. That, that finally just kind of, you know, that that, that kind of is how the whole thing sort of sort of wrapped up. But but for our show, we asked these guys, you know, what were the best things that guys did? You know, the best operators in the spook show business. What what did they do? And so we kind of made like a greatest hits. Right. Um, okay. of, uh, of, of spook show material. So we had a um, we had a magical appearance. So Dr. Scream appears, you know, in a puff of smoke and a coffin kind of looking cabinet and uh there's a a, a brief little uh, hypnotism bit and there is a you know the traditional stuff song a lady in half you know making somebody float uh with the song in half we use the big giant buzz saw so they actually see the the saw go into her flesh and blood and guts fly all over the place <laughs> um we have a uh, a spirit cabinet kind of seance routine where somebody um uh, the performer, Dr. Scream, gets all tied up so he can't influence anything. And he goes in this little curtain cabinet with an audience member and all this strange stuff starts to happen. You know, spooks 
uh, are making, uh, you know, making racket and take a guy's shirt off. And, and, you know, there's all, you know, all the funny comedy bits like that. And, um, and so that, that's what people see. They, they see the, the kind of the stereotypical greatest hits of, of campy horror themed magic and comedy. And then uh, one of my favorite parts of the show is every single show, uh, an audience member actually wins a real dead body and cool. we give away, <laughs> we give away a real dead body at the end of every show. And, uh, the, what's so great for me was going on a lot of the publicity we do via local television stations. We have some TV advertisements and stuff that we all had made up in the vintage style. If you search on YouTube, uh, you can, you can look at uh, Dr. Scream spook show revival, you know, commercials or coming to a theater or whatever. You'll, you'll find some of that stuff. Nice. And, uh, but I love, I love going on the morning, like morning talk shows and I'll just start blurting out and don't forget, we're going to give away a real dead body. And oh, I mean, the TV producers go nuts. Like, how can you say that? What are you doing? Don't, you know, you, you can't say you're giving away. And I'm like, no, man, we actually, we do. We give away a real dead body, you know, and I didn't say that it's a human body, but we give away <laughs> a real dead body every, uh, every, every show. And um, that's one of our favorite bits. Cause it's just, uh, it's both creepy and funny and uh, awesome. gets a ton of, yeah, it gets a ton of attention. It's something people talk about. And then just like the classic spook shows uh, after the, the about 45, 15 minute live show, all the lights in the theater go out and uh, the entire stage is filled with glowing dancing skeletons and ghosts fly right over the head, glowing ghosts fly right over the head of the audience all throughout the theater. And um, the audience actually feels swamp bugs and spiders crawling down there, crawling down the back of their neck. And, uh, and then, and then instantly after a couple minutes, all the lights go on, there's nothing to see. And then, um, then we treat them to a, a classic horror movie. And uh, it's just, it's a lot of fun. It's a, it's a campy retro good time and uh it's just it's an absolute blast to do that's so awesome and so amazing do you do you have any um safety challenges with the blackouts totally uh yeah absolutely when you go in and ask a uh, a theater manager uh, hey can, how can i kill power to the entire auditorium so nobody can even see their hand in front of their face uh you're definitely met with some resistance um <laughs> <laughs> Using uh, and sometimes you know we we have to do quite a quite a bit of an explanation of of kind of our safety protocols that we have in place. But we do have safety protocols in place, uh, utilizing technology that they didn't have back in the day. You know, night vision and some of the really advanced luminescent technology that's used in the aviation industry. We we've, we've sort of been able to create a plan that, as of yet, we've never we've never been turned down on. So we've always we've always been allowed to do it. And it's also important to remember that it doesn't last a really long time. You know, I think the blackout's about two and a half, three minutes long. Oh, okay, yeah. So that so that does that does kind of you know that does kind of help. But yeah, it's it's something that we have to be we have to be very careful about, and um, we use uh, we use technology to achieve some of the same exact effects, but in a much safer way than they used to. They used to actually send performers in in all black jumpsuits running up and down the aisles with with big bamboo poles. Oh, with, God. Um, with glowing with glowing fabric on the end you know well you can't do that anymore right. you, you trip you get a concussion you break a leg you you know whatever um, <laughs> oh my god but yeah yeah but luckily now there's some uh there's some technological uh, wizardry that we're able to use to make the exact same thing happen without without human inter- intervention and anybody getting hurt so well, that's um, good but yeah we're able to pull it off and it works really well well, that's great. That's awesome. So I'm curious to know, in, in your research, when you were starting up the spook shows, did you find that the audiences in the, like, say, the 30s and 40s, when they were first starting, 
which I think the audiences were probably a little more naive back then. Do you think when the seances played, they tended to believe them at first until they realized it was a show? Yeah, I think at first, I think this kind of entertainment at first started very serious. And then over time, it's sort of, you know, as the universal monsters and everything sort of took, you know, took a grip. I I think it kind of, I I don't want to say devolved, but I think it just evolved into something different. It evolved into sort of a... uh, of a more mainstream entertainment. I think people didn't really think that real dead bodies were, you know, trying to communicate with them. Um, it, it definitely became more of a, um, you know, more of an entertainment based thing, but, you know, in the, in the twenties and in the 1920s and thirties, I mean, spiritualism, you know, as an actual religion. Oh yeah. It was, was huge. It was massive. I mean, it was massive and people were really, really, you know, believed in that stuff. And, um, yeah, it's, it's crazy. You know, speaking of, speaking of that and Philip Morris, you know, Philip Morris kind of taught me something interesting that I, I never really knew or thought about till he t- would talk about it, you know, in say, spirit seances, you know, we you traditionally hear the, you know, spirits, can you hear me, you know, tap one for yes or two for no, you know, that kind right. of signaling. And, and I never thought about the whole, why would a ghost tap as opposed to just talk or, or whatnot. Right. And, and his explanation was Back when spiritualism started really taking hold in, in, in America and throughout the world, it was it was kind of right after the Civil War. And the idea of both wireless and long distance telecommunication was a very, very, very new concept. And the tool that we had to do it was was Morse code, was all tapping. Oh, okay. So the theory was these people thought basically that there was some sort of a telegraph system to the spirit world because that's how you would communicate. There wasn't anything mysterious about it. They just, that's how you would communicate, you know? That's fascinating. Yeah. Today, if you frame that same argument today, you know, you would think that a spirit would take over your cell phone and just send you a TikTok video or something. I don't know. (laughs) But but yeah, so that's kind of where the whole, that whole tapping that, that's kind of where all that stuff came from. And charlatans would, would go around and, and, you know, basically deliver tapped, you know, Morse coded messages, you know, to love loved ones in exchange for money, you know, sort of a scam to, to take advantage of, you know, widows and families that were, that were suffering and such. And I think that's where also a lot of the, the modern skeptic uh, movement kind of came from and, and guys like James Randi and those, those type of folks kind of debunking, you know, these, these charlatans that, you know, really are, are preying on people's sincerely held beliefs. Well, and so, Houdini too, he was a famous debunker because oh, he wanted Houdini, to believe yeah. it. Yeah. Houdini, Houdini was, was, was obviously huge, you know, uh, the last tours of his life, you know, a whole section of the show was just devoted to, uh, to debunking spiritualism. And, uh, it's funny how, you know, the main, really the mainstream America doesn't really even spiritualism has been on such a decline that they don't, uh, they don't even think of Houdini in that light, you know, but uh, right. back in the day before he died, you know, he was testifying in Congress against, you know, against spiritualism and against these people doing this kind of stuff. And I think finally enough high profile people kind of were into that mode that it's probably one of the reasons too, that the, the a lot of the seances kind of ended up, ended up kind of going away outside of a small select group of, you know, kind of weirdo true believers and, and it became more mainstream entertainment that it was something that was fun as opposed to, you know, trying to actually talk to dead people. 
Right, right. So you mentioned earlier about how in the 60s you kind of had the um, the kids that would get unruly and almost destroy the whole theater. I had read about that as well, that the, the rise, I, I guess simply because after World War II, kids didn't have to go to work at such an early age, they were allowed yep. to be kids. And so there, there was born the teenager, which they didn't really call them that before then. So you had all these kids with all this free time on their hands, and so what are they going to do? They're going to go to these cool shows. But then after a while, they became unruly, you know, juvenile delinquents, if you will, as what they were labeled at the time. Have you ever had to deal with any sort of, you know, rude audiences or hecklers or, or you know, unruly people? You know, we've been really, really lucky. We have not had to deal with that. And I think in part that's because our show is a... a, a it's a retro nostalgia thing in a performing arts center and people kind of are going with the mindset of, they want a, a, a good time to experience kind of yesteryear. Right. We don't really get the, the, and the ticket price, you know, around 20 bucks, you know, people don't really go drop 20 bucks to just be a hooligan, you right. know, ticket prices, <laughs> ticket prices at the back of the day were you know, uh, 25 cents or 50, you know, whatever, uh, a yeah. high school kid wouldn't wouldn't bat an eye about coming in. Everything that we do now is much more um, it's much more family friendly, and it's definitely a different. You know, our demographic for our show is 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 not the stereotypical demographic of the traditional spook show at all. So, yeah, that that has a, that isn't really a isn't really an issue that we've had to deal with. That's great. So in um, in putting the shows together, what what has been probably the biggest challenge? in putting your spook show together? The biggest challenge that we've faced is educating both the theater booker as well as the audience on what exactly it is we're trying to do, right? Because right. they're, they're like, okay, so is it a magic show or is it a, uh, you know, is it a movie? What? It's just, it's kind of a weird thing, especially if, you know, if especially if they're younger than, you know, the baby boomer generation. So that's the biggest challenge, you know, challenge number one, you got to kind of educate people as far as what it is. And we always just say, basically it's a magic show, haunted house and horror movie all wrapped up into one experience. You know I mean? That, and that's kind of like, Oh, okay. So it's three different things and it's all in one night. You know, like, yep, that's what it is. Okay. <laughs> that's awesome. And that's what this show is about is we, you know, I, I've said this before that when my son was born, I felt the need to bring him up to speed on all the cool stuff that he missed out on. And that's sort of where the show comes from is that there's a whole generation out there that has no idea about certain things they should know about. And I think spook shows is a great cool piece of almost forgotten entertainment that they would enjoy if they just knew about it. Right. Right. I totally agree. I totally agree. And it's so it hits on all the popular things today. Like, uh, like, like let's just face it, right. Vintage, vintage and retro stuff experiences are in. Right. right? Cause the stuff's fun, right. People are looking, people are both looking to see what used to be. People are looking to rediscover their childhood. Um, right. They're, you know, yeah, it's, it, and then every, I mean, horror's never gone out of fashion. I mean, right. come on now. Some of the most profitable dollar for dollar dollar movie productions that have been made are, are horror movies. That's right. And, uh, you know, and and going to the theater, that's sort of I don't know. I, I always looked at it like. What what kind of experience yeah, I'm a theater junkie, regardless of spook shows or whatever, you know, as a magician, as a you know, I studied theater in college. 
uh, I love live theater. I love live theater 18 million times more than I like film. Uh, live theater, I think, is just awesome. It's unpredictable. You never know what's going to happen. There's a lot more possibilities. It's a bit more immersive, I believe. It's even somewhat interactive, even if you're not directly, obviously, interacting with the actors. Right. And a lot of people today aren't, especially our, our young folks, aren't having that kind of direct experience with the theater. So I always kind of take a little bit of pride in the fact that sometimes I am able to get people who would not normally come to a theater to actually come to a live show, a live theatrical show. And if this campy horror genre is the vehicle that I can expose people to live theater with, then, uh, then I'll take it. I'll consider it a win because that means that if they have a good time sitting in there watching something live on stage, that's not just reproduced on film. Maybe they'll go to a show of some other kind the next week and the next week and the next week. Um, I, you know, I'm a firm believer in, uh, you know, when you, when you go to the theater, you, you, maybe you don't fully, uh, you know, suit up, but you put on a, you put on a jacket and, uh, you dress up and it's a social thing and it's a cultural thing and it's something to really enjoy. And, um, so anything I could always do, you know, in my career to kind of help foster that theater is a respectable place and form of entertainment, you know, I'm all for, so that's, that's one of the most rewarding, rewarding things about the whole experience. That's excellent. Yes. And I agree. I think theater is something that's um, been slipping away from this this modern generation. Now, in terms of, of the um, the sort of the gimmicks and stuff that you've put on with the spook shows, there was one that I read about that I loved where on the stage they sort of had a, a giant glass that was slanted and there was a mirror. So there was a like the person's on stage, the performer, and then you've got a lady dressed up like a ghost and they're using the glass in the mirror to reflect her behind the performer. So it looks like she's on stage with him, but she also looks translucent. Yes, yes, yes. yes. You're talking about what you're talking about is peppers, the peppers ghost illusion. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I can tell you uh, with, with a huge amount of certainty, peppers ghost was never really used on any touring sideshow or uh, I'm sorry, spook shows because um it's just so unbelievably impractical to do um because these shows would have to move like you know silkini shows everybody's caracoom's shows you know dr rome all these guys they would the spook show was always almost always a one-nighter deal so they would they would they would come in on wednesday at two in the afternoon set everything up and then at two in the morning they would to tear it all down drive to the next town find a motel sleep for six hours wake up and do it again they did not have the ability to do that kind of thing now i can tell you earlier before the spook show genre and some of the more formal seance shows and and even even like big like operas and musicals that kind of technology pepper's ghost stuff was used and um and that technology is still being used in disney's haunted mansion today in the in the ballroom scene oh okay that's how those ghosts appear and dance around. That's what that is. Yeah, I would imagine like trying to transport giant pieces of glass or mirror would would not be good because they would all ultimately end up breaking. Yeah, there's there's no way to do it. There's no way to do it practically. There's a there's a whole other genre of entertainment that I'm I'm very very involved in. Um, that is the circus sideshow, and that's probably a conversation for a different day. Um, but one of the productions that we have is uh, is called the Great American Sideshow Company, and we operate one of the last uh, girl to gorilla shows. Maybe we could talk about that at some point in the future, but uh, that relies heavily on pepper on the pepper's ghost illusion and does involve a giant chunk of glass. And, um, but again, it would not be 
it would not at all be practical for a theater environment to try and tour, you know, with that kind of stuff. But um, there's 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 some really really amazing things that uh, you know that people have come up with to make ghosts and apparitions and that kind of stuff appear. But uh, the spook show world's much too uh, much too low tech for that, <laughs> fortunately or unfortunately. Right, right. <laughs> so now you play you play the um, a classic horror movie at the end of the shows, just like the old shows. Do you yep. what films have you played? So uh, we, we've we've done a bunch of them, um, but the film that I'm most that, that I love the most uh, was actually a it's a short film. It's only about forty minutes. And uh, it was put together by a, a friend of mine who unfortunately we lost a few years ago. His name was David L. Hewitt. And uh, Hewitt ended up kind of getting, he ended up making independent films when he was real young and in kind of cheesy horror films, but he ended up doing special effects on major films like uh, honey. I shrunk the kids and a couple other things. Wow. Um, he, he made a movie called monsters crash the pajama party. Yep. And uh, unfortunately, uh, some studios, I don't know, probably 20 something years ago, got a hold of a couple of reels and, and put a version of it out on, on DVD. So you can kind of see some of the footage. The only problem was they put the reels together in the wrong order. So okay. it doesn't really make a whole heck of a lot of and without any explanation. So it doesn't really make a whole heck of a lot of sense. But before he would pass, I mean, we, we talked extensively about it and, and he told me straight up, he's like, hey, man, he's like, I don't feel like he's like, I don't really know that I have the, the rights to it, per se, because it's been ripped off so much. But he's like, I give you full rights to, you know, to whatever rights I might have left in the movie. If you guys are going to use it in the spook show, you know, and keep it alive, but just do me a favor and put it together how it's supposed to actually be. So we did. So the last five seasons, uh, we've been using that movie. And the cool thing about Monsters Crash the Pajama Party is that it's actually an interactive movie. At a, a point in the movie, a gorilla and a monster actually jump off the screen, pick up a girl from the audience in the actual live theater where people are sitting. Right. They capture her. They jump back into the movie with her, and then they tickle torture her to death because that's the perfect cheesy ending. <laughs> um, so... And there's a bunch of gimmicks basically built into that movie that are sort of interactive. Uh, when Hewitt made it, he made that movie to be kind of a standalone interactive attraction that he could book independently. That you know, sort of like a 3D, a crude, a crude version of 3D immersion movie come to life kind of deal. And uh, it's also a huge hit. Like it's a huge hit. It's corny as hell, but it's so right. much fun. Oh it's yeah, I have, I have the DVD and it makes absolutely no sense. And now you've explained it to me why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The reels are the reels are totally in the wrong order. I mean, most people don't even watch the entire movie because they ended up putting the the credit reel of this just nonsensical gorilla thing like up front. <laughs> it it makes no sense. It makes zero sense at all. So That's funny. Have you ever uh, considered teaming up with? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I don't. I don't know if it was something weird or wh whoever. Whoever put yeah. it together, you done did it. You done did it wrong. You should have talked to David. He was kind of pissed about it. It was something weird. Have you ever considered teaming up with independent filmmakers nowadays to have them maybe make low budget films specifically to be shown at your performances? I would absolutely love to do that. I don't kind of kind of being a busy guy. I don't really have the um, 
I don't really have the just kind of the time to, to go out and necessarily make that happen. But if all the independent movie makers who are currently listening to your podcast uh, want to get in touch with us, yeah, I, I would be totally open to it. Um, Fred Olin Ray, I don't know if that name rings a bell. Absolutely. Um, okay. Fred Olin Ray is a, is a good buddy of mine, fantastic actor, and, and uh, used to be a wrestler and a side guy. He's just a cool guy. I just uh, love the guy. But we had actually talked about trying to use a couple of his movies. And we both just got so freaking busy with with other projects. We haven't had a chance to yet. Um, but there's a couple of newly restored venues that have come online in Michigan. And uh, I would say that that's still a very, very, very good possibility uh, of doing. So, yeah, we're, we're totally open with it. And I think, I think there's interest out there. That's awesome. That's awesome. And we'll definitely uh, do our part in trying to spread the word to independent filmmakers to get in touch with you and see if we can make something happen. That'd be phenomenal. That'd be awesome, man. spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Here are your hosts, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Bryce, and Joel Hodgson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the HP Lovecraft Film Festival, Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the Head of Rondo Hatton, only on Monster Kid Radio. Hey, folks. I just wanted to take a minute here to tell you about the hosting service that we use at Haven Podcasts, podserve.fm. Podcast hosting has never been easier. They do all the work to get your podcast on Apple Podcasts and other major podcast networks. They help you navigate the podcasting world, whether you're brand new or have years of experience. Folks, I can't tell you how happy I am with their service. When I first started this podcast, I searched around intensely for the right hosting platform. I found PodServe and used their simple four-step process, and in a short amount of time, my podcasts were on the internet and available through all the major podcast networks. And their customer support is unreal. Every time I goof things up and make a mistake, like uh, posting the wrong show to the wrong feed, I email them, and I kid you not, within minutes I get a response and the problem is resolved. And they're the only podcasting host that actually helps you get listeners. Other podcast hosts stop at Podcast Upload and don't help promote your podcast. Well, PodServe makes sure your podcast is seen by thousands of people. The promotion is free, and they put you on PodParadise.com, which has over 5,000 visits a day from avid podcast listeners and is growing every day. Each day, Pod Paradise selects five podcasts to spotlight on their front page. Maybe yours could be there soon. PodServe's pricing is simple. Only 19 bucks a month. That's it. No tiered pricing platform, just one low fee. For 19 bucks a month, you get unlimited storage, unlimited podcasts, free podcast promotion, your podcasts on all platforms, detailed download analytics, one-on-one customer support, 
You pay month to month, and you can cancel at any time. And when you sign up, you get 14 days free. You don't even have to give them your credit card. I love their service so much, I put a reminder in my phone to add my credit card when the 14 days was almost up. I couldn't give them my 19 bucks fast enough. I'm telling you, I, I really didn't believe it until I actually signed up and saw my podcasts on everything from iTunes to Stitcher and Spotify and more in a ridiculously short amount of time. So if you've got a podcast and you don't have a hosting platform, I highly recommend podserve.fm. Check them out. Hello, this is Rod Barnett. I'm the host of The Bloody Pit, the podcast that examines films from across the decades. On The Bloody Pit, we have several ongoing series of shows within the show focused on specific things in genre cinema that I and my co-hosts find fascinating. There's a long-running series focused on Italian maestro Antonio Margheriti's films from the 1960s all the way up through 1990. There's an on-again, off-again series focused on 1970s science fiction films. There's an in-depth look at the Western movies that William Castle made before he struck out on his own and became the horror auteur that we know and love. A look at the classic Coffin Joe films from Brazil. And our long-term project to look at every universal horror film made in the 1940s. That's a long project, people. It's going to take us a long time. Sprinkled in amongst those are various other episodes focused on other stranger areas of cinema, like uh, Lucio Fulci, Dario Argento, and even some obscure British crime films from time to time. So join me and my rotating crew of co-hosts as we examine the stranger side of cinema through an exploitation lens. Except when we don't? Yeah, you never really know exactly what to expect on The Bloody Pit. So join me for The Bloody Pit. Dr. Scream's Spook Show Revival, live on stage. It's a magic show, haunted house, and classic horror movie, all in one night. It's insane! See ghosts fly right over your head. See a woman burned alive. Warning, some unlucky person from the audience will win a real dead body. Kids, bring your parents. They might be too scared to come along. And after the live show, you'll see a classic horror film. Dr. Scream's Spook Show Revival, October 21st and 22nd at the Maumee Indoor Theater. Tickets available at spookshowrevival.com and at the theater. So have you ever, um, I'm sorry, I, you said you did your show regularly for several years. Have you ever traveled around with it or was it just sort of in a localized area? So we, we went all over Michigan. Uh, we went all over Northern Ohio. Uh, did we do Indiana too? I think there was two venues in Indiana that we did as well. So it was kind of a, it was sort of a, it was sort of a tri-state thing. We ended, we did end up going down to, uh, we did a horror convention actually, um, the, I don't think it exists anymore, unfortunately. I think I heard that it, and I hope I'm not. I hope I'm not wrong about that. If if it's still going, it was a great event, and I assume it's still a good event. We did uh, the Mad Monster Party in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, actually in Philip Morris's backyard. Oh wow! Um, okay, yeah, that was a uh, that was a hoot, and uh, we we had an offer to do one or two other like horror convention things, which we're we totally be open to, but uh, just timing timing wise, it didn't work out. One 
one was kind of close-ish to Halloween. We had a regular season going on, so it wasn't we weren't able to figure it out. But uh, yeah, if anybody uh, anybody in July has got like a horror con going on, they want something unique and, and totally different, you know, we're open. Excellent. We could, we you should check out do- the Monster Bash too. I think that's in Pennsylvania. They they do uh, a lot of great classic monster themed stuff, and I think that's right up their alley. Let's check that. I think I've heard of it, but I've never uh, I haven't had the, the pleasure of going out there yet. Right. Yeah. They're run by a guy named Ron Adams. And he also owns a website called Creepy Classics where he sells, you know, DVDs and magazines and stuff. And he puts on the Monster Bash, I think, once, maybe twice a year. Although this year, not so much. They did it to something online. But yeah, I think definitely uh, hooking up a spook show with a horror convention is a brilliant idea. Yeah. I think it'd be a lot of fun. It'd be a lot of fun. I mean, everybody that, so our, our, the cast of my show is uh, six or seven folks. Uh, oh, half of which are related family members and the other half are just good friends who absolutely love like vintage campy horror stuff. And so we just, uh, you know, it's everybody does it for the love of it. I don't think we make a nickel. I'm sure we blow way the hell more cash on on the whole thing that we've ever uh, we've ever made. And we've, and we've sold out a couple of big houses, too. Man. I'll tell you, what, I don't know what it is about Ohio, but man, those people in Ohio, they they freaking like their horror uh, oh, and their souvenirs. Cool. Like we, it, Yeah, it's crazy. Like. We did pretty well in Michigan, man. But when you go down to Ohio, the Toledo, the, the one one venue in Toledo in particular in the area, we're just like, good lord, where do these people come from? It was uh, <laughs> phenomenal. That's cool. Well, they had a lot of famous horror hosts come out of there too. Like, wasn't there a Doctor Shock and uh, Goulardi? I think they, the, yeah, they did. And then uh, it was Cleveland and Detroit both had Sven Gulli. Yep. Uh, was Sven Gulli? Yeah, I think it was Sven Gulli. Um, yeah, there was there was there was a bunch of those guys that came uh, that came out of that area. So it's just kind of ripe. And that's really the hotbed for like haunted houses and, and everything as far as that kind of stuff goes, too. So nice. Um, yeah. Yeah. Nice. It's, so just, it's f- a cool. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, it's just a cool area. That's awesome. So do you feel like you have to come up with um, bigger and better gimmicks with each show? Or do, you, do you ever try to top yourself? I mean, we kind of do, but we kind of have a formula and a script. I mean, it's kind of a regular, it's a show. There's three or four pieces we kind of rotate in and out. And there's a couple of venues that we can do a couple of kind of neater things that we can't do in some of the smaller venues that we do. So the the same ba- basic format is the same. There's no, no major, major changes or, or toppers year over year. But if you, I mean, anybody that saw, you know, two or three years in a row, you saw a substantial difference in, in, in chunk of material. Um, that's just to kind of keep it fresh. But the thing that really surprised us really surprised me. Now, my, my wife kind of, kind of predicted it actually, but I, I didn't really think it was going to be the case. It kind of becomes like a family tradition for a lot of people. We have a ton of people that, uh, that would come every year and like bring other friends and family and stuff. And they're like, yeah, it's like a Halloween tradition. Like we go, uh, you know, we go to the spook show and then we go to the bar and uh, you know, and have a good time. And that's just kind of, nice. that's our Halloween thing. That's what we do. That's awesome. Um, yeah. There's, and there's, cause there's a lot of people who really aren't into the whole, like, you know, somebody jumping out at you in the, in the traditional haunted house. And this it's, it's, it's haunted housey, but it's, this is a different thing, you know? Right. So um, we get a lot of that. We get a lot of that. So, so well, I mean, I what do you do for like music? Do you have to license music, or do you have someone that makes the music for you? We've we've done both actually. We've we've licensed some music, and then uh, and then actually we had a, a two or three pieces now, uh, c- kind of custom composed, which is really cool. Um, yeah, you can't really, 
Yeah, you got to be careful as to you know what venues and and who's got the ASCAP BMI you know licenses and all that. But you, right. you can run all that stuff pretty easy. But there's there isn't really any like popular music. You know, we're not uh, you know the the encore isn't done to Thriller or anything like that. So right. <laughs> the same thing goes with the movies. You know, like one of the reasons that uh, you know we have whatever rights are necessary. Not like there's really any anymore, unfortunately. Anyway, but. You know, the Monsters Crash, the Pajama Party. We we also used a couple of public domain movies. Uh, House on Haunted Hill was one that we showed a few times. And uh, nice, yeah, yeah. And I know you we play got... some of the old Casper uh, cartoons. Yeah, yep, yep. We show uh, show one or two of the quick Casper cartoons. Uh, you know, before the uh, you know before the main movie. So um, we try to make the movie segment about an hour, and and Monsters Crash is about forty minutes. So right. uh, we put about, you know, 10, 12 minutes of Casper cartoons in there and uh, then you're, you're good to go. And it's funny too how funny those, some of those, that old Casper stuff is like people are gut bustingly laughing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and some of the Casper stuff is a little bit like, man, was this really designed for a kid? Like there's right. some innuendo in that stuff. That's just like freaking hilarious. <laughs> really funny. I always remember one that disturbed me as a kid where he goes to the moon for whatever reason, like, cause nobody will be his friend, which is the usual case. So he goes to the moon to find some new friends and there's these evil tree monsters and he flies into the ground cause you know, he can, he can pass through solid objects and reaches up, grabs their feet, pulls them down and ties them together. And that just <laughs> bothered me. <laughs> that is funny, man. It's funny. Oh, yeah. Those God. guys, you know, if you any of those old cartoons, it's so funny. You know, everybody's so politically correct and whatever nonsense about their kids and stuff today. Right. It's like, did y'all did y'all not watch like Looney Tunes or whatever? Like, <laughs> hello, like, you know, the Acme crap and blowing blowing <laughs> stuff up and trying to kill the rabbit and everything else. I mean, good lord. I don't think you any know? kid has ever dropped an anvil on another kid's head from watching Bugs Bunny. <laughs> uh, I might have tried that with my sister on it. That's not to talk about that. That's hilarious. So a lot of these these original spook shows, when they were, you know, it was it was a thing and it was happening throughout the country. They generally were at midnight, right? They were at all at all times of the night, but yeah, they would generally were quite late at night because they had to wait till all the all the all the regular features were up. But a lot of right. times they, you know, ten ten to midnight. Yeah, it was was super popular. And so, what time do do your shows generally go on? Well, because our audience is a little bit older and we're <laughs> catering to the tapioca, tapioca crowd, uh, you know, usually eight o'clock. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. That, that makes more sense. I think you probably me too. I would want to go to a, an a early show. Yeah. I, we're, you know, we're playing performing arts centers that have like legitimate theater in them. So you kind of like can't really do that at midnight, you know, it's right. Right. A lot of people don't do midnight things. I don't think too much anymore. Although recently because of COVID around, I, I live in Maine and because of COVID the theaters shut down, but the drive-ins were, were kicking ass doing great business. And there's one drive-in that's close to me. That's been doing midnight horror movies every Saturday. And we've gone to several of them and Dude, that's that really would be, fun. That would be so unbelievably awesome. How late in the season are they able to go with it? They're still going on right now. They just announced an event for this weekend, although I think their their first show is at like 5, 5 p.m., and then they do have a, a later one, but it's not going to be till like, I think, 10 or 10.30. That's awesome. That yeah. is awesome. You know, some guys actually tried to do spook shows at drive-in theaters. I wondered um, about that. Yeah, yeah. Kind of a hero of mine, Don Davison. This guy was, Don Davison, was, I don't know if you ever heard the name or familiar. This guy was super, super interesting. I think I read about him doing my research. 
Yeah, he uh, he kind of met a very unfortunate d- d- demise. I mean, I think alcohol kind of finally and it's a couple other things kind of did him in. But Don, uh, he was just man, he was a hustler and he was he was making movies and re- retitling crappy movies. And he was working for um, oh God, what was the company? Was it was it America's Picture API? American Picture AIP. Yeah. Or, yeah. AIP. Yeah. He was um, he, he was doing distribution for those guys for a while or whatever. But he uh anything to make a buck this guy he, he would he was putting together these little road shows of these terrible kids that had no idea how to perform and they would set up a couple little spotlights and some hokey hokey magic tricks on the roof of the concession stands <laughs> which were which are you know at a drive-in at least in michigan a lot of uh, a lot of the concession stands are almost partially sunk into the ground so oh, you geez. don't you don't lose any of the uh you know the screen viewing like you could put it in the middle and, um, you know, so they only come up about five or maybe six, seven foot, foot off the ground. Okay. And, and he was, he was making them, making these guys do these just horrible crap shows on the roof of the concession stand. <laughs> you couldn't really do a blackout per se, but, um, yeah, he was, yeah, oh, he got, he was so Don Davis. was so funny. This guy, he was also doing sex ed shows. That's now that is a freaking <laughs> funny thing to get into one day, man. He, oh my God. He made, he using like public domain medical film and stuff. Uh, and Don Davison would dress, he dressed up like a doctor and he made this, this film, you know, and he promised he was going to explain how the birds and the bees worked. He would book, he would book this thing at drive-ins and then he would have girls, teenagers, like a teenage boy and a couple of girls dressed up as nurses and doctors. And they would go car to car selling, you know, the, the secrets of sex or whatever. You know, the kids at the drive-ins because that's where they were all on their date. You know, they all wanted a, a basically a, a glorified nudie book. You oh know, my God. And, uh, oh God, it was so funny. But he he ran some just crazy spook show promotions. But uh, anything to make a buck, man. He was he because kind of at the end there in the, in the late '60s. You know, as the theaters all started drying up, the drive-ins were hot. You know, and to him, right. it was just he just saw it as another venue. You know, let's go, let's go put a crappy magic guillotine on the roof of a concession stand. Maybe a couple people will gather around and we'll call it a spook show. You know, didn't, <laughs> didn't go, didn't go over so hot, but whatever. He still got, he, he made his money. So who cares? That's great. So you mentioned um, of one of the early pioneers of the spook show, Dr. Salkini. Can you talk about maybe some of your uh, inspirations? Like there was a guy named Elwin, I think who started before Salkini and Salkini kind of stole some of his ideas. Who are your heroes in the spook show? Well, I, you know, it's hard to say who stole what L Elwin and Herman Weber are basically, I, I think the two guys who, who really kind of, set the stage set the tone for the modern you know what what ended up becoming the modern spook show you know yeah both both elwin and and them and in fact uh herman weber even wrote a book uh i think it was might have been the one of the first how-to manuals out of the spook cabinet my my real heroes kind of in the spook show game uh were probably the biggest biggest influence would probably be bill neff uh neff the magician um now neff was a little bit different uh, he had a blackout and they showed a movie, but Neff was an actual legitimate, amazingly talented performing magician, you know, very much equal in, in, in so many ways to like Harry Blackstone senior uh, or, or Thurston before him. But his, his magic show was beautiful, but it had a horror ghost theme right. and he kind of got, he didn't really want to be known as the kind of a spook show guy, but he kind of got pigeonholed into that theater managers basically demanded that he do stuff like a blackout after his show. 
And uh, I don't think he was a big fan of that kind of stuff per se. But as a as a performer, as a magic performer, he was he was absolutely phenomenal. So I take a lot of inspiration from him. Uh, I take a lot of inspiration from uh, you know the stories and, and the campiness and the goofiness of you know of Phil Morris, only because he was uh, you know I mean we were pretty close. And then uh, I'm, I'm still good friends with uh, with his family and his widow. But I only got a, a few days to hang out with uh, Roy Houston, you know, before his his passing, which was was far too young. And wow. Roy was a phenomenal all-around magician as well, and did a, did a ton of spook shows. And Roy worked in the circus industry and whatever. I think those three guys are probably my biggest, um, kind of my biggest influences as far as the actual show goes, because they were all doing at some point actual good magic material that was entertaining, even if it wasn't in a spook show. They just kind of put that kind of material into the spook show format to make it work and 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 to make money there's other guys that, that fascinate me so that's the show part the business part the guys who fascinate me are guys like uh don davison it's probably number one kroger bab uh kara coom was a guy on the west coast kara coom i mean he had the worst schlock shows there were i mean people they want to burn down the theater man when he came through it was just he would promise <laughs> I mean, he would tell you that you'd be a, literally, you know, anointed by the actual body of dead Elvis if he could to sell wow. a ticket. His his ad campaigns were completely out of this world. I mean, just insane. His ad campaigns were, um, and you know, the show was just like, you know, you'd show up and the show was like a twelve year old kid, you know, with some glow paint and a card trick, and I mean, people just they just they'd go nuts, you know. I mean. When all the advertising and marketing is first time at this theater, never here seen before, you know, there was a reason for that because people had gotten burned going to see these crappy shows. They oh, didn't okay. want to go back. You know? So you had to advertise <laughs> it. This, this, one, this one wasn't like the last crappy one you saw. And it was usually the same damn guy. It was the same damn guy. You get some other 15 year old kid, give him two other tricks, you know? So that, that, you know, sped up the demise. And then Silkini with his, just his machine. I mean, you know, okay. I, can you imagine playing nine cities a night, six nights a week, 54 cities a week? Good heavens. For for years and years and years. I mean, that's just, uh, that's crazy. That's wow. crazy. I mean, it, was real, it was a real, it was an actual business. I mean, it was a real, it was a real industry for a long time. That's that's amazing, and that's something that's just lost. You know, I don't think many people would know what such a huge industry it was. Yeah, yeah. And you have to I think, be, I think uh, Roy told us Go ahead. But, no, you have to be what? Well, I was going to say, you have to re- be a really good showman or a carnival barker to be able to pull off that length and that, that amount of work that Silkini did. I, yeah, I, I would I, I would agree. He was, he was very, very, very much the showman. You know, Roy, Roy Houston would, 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 I think it was Roy that would tell me, you know, the story and he told other people as well. You know, he would talk about, you know, he talked about talking to a theater manager who hated spook shows. <laughs> and he'd be like, if you hate what we do so much, why why do you bring us back to your three your theater three times a year? Three like every quarter. Some of these some of these theaters were having spook shows, you know, every four months, three months, they would have a friggin' spook show. Hmm. And he goes, Yeah, I, I hate you guys. I absolutely hate when you guys come in. But the reason I bring you back is I look at the books, right? And after paying the studios their fees and everything, I, you know, I book gone with the wind. And okay, it grossed, you know, 150 bucks on Friday and I sold $200 in concessions. And, you know, then Saturday, it maybe did $200 in tickets and, you know, 
$250 in concessions. You guys come in. We don't have to pay any studios anything because it's independent. You sell $400 worth of tickets. You sell $600 of, of popcorn and candy, most of which ends up on the floor or thrown around, you know, and you do it at a time where I can't even be open, you know, showing any other movies. So that's why I have you guys. I mean, it was just the, 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 the profit incentive was just, it was just massive. It's, you know, it's so a no brainer. Yeah. It's a total no brainer. <laughs> One of the things I, I love too, when I think about the spook shows, it reminds me of, uh, Joe Dante's film Matinee, because it was partially inspired by William Castle, who himself was, you know, a great showman with all his gimmicks. But it was also inspired by spook shows. Have you seen the movie? I have. I have. That is a flipping, phenomenal, phenomenal movie. And William Castle, I mean, William Castle's not really a spook show guy, but but his gimmicks, he, he is one of my just entertainment showbiz just heroes. I mean, he is so absolutely, I think, unsung for his contribution and just he's so much smarter than I think a lot of people gave him credit for. Oh, yeah. And, and I'll tell you this. He he wrote an autobiography. It's one of the best autobiographies I've ever read in my entire life. Seriously. A lot of people don't even know about it. It's called uh, I think it's called Step Right Up. I'm going to scare the pants off America. <laughs> Search it on Amazon. They they somebody reissued it. Maybe his daughter or a grandkid or something re, reissued it, and it was available on Amazon as of you know a year or two ago. Uh, you couldn't get it for a long time, but uh, if if you're into this kind of stuff that we're talking about, you know he d- talks about making the skeleton gimmick, the the ergo gimmick for uh, House on Haunted Hill, right? And the buzzers in the seats on Tingler, the Tingler, all yeah, the, yeah. All the all the real scoop is in that book. Um, you know, he he was the major player. He was the the producer, the major guy of behind um, uh, Rosemary's Baby. That's right. It's, he he yeah. mortgaged his house to finance that film. Yeah, yeah, and and just um, I mean, just he he was a major he was a major player, but always kind of on the DL. You know, um, just crazy. Yeah, that's awesome. So, considering what you just told us about William Castle and stuff, I assume you're a horror fan or even a monster kid, correct? You know, I am a horror fan. I wouldn't consider myself a monster kid. I got into it when I was a kid. I was terrified of this crap. I couldn't watch a horror movie. <laughs> I'm dead serious, man. I was the kid. I don't even know how I ended up getting into this stuff. Something eventually just clicked in my brain that I thought it was fun. I was the kid at 10 years old. I don't think I could make it through a single haunted house. Like I'd go to a haunted house. My parents would take me. Got my poor mom. I'll tell you so. <laughs> You know, I, I was, uh, you, you know, my, my my parents divorced and, you know, neither one had, I kind of grew up with my parents. I mean, they were kind of young and neither one of them had a lot of money, you know, before they, they got their degrees and businesses going on and, and remarried and everything else. And uh, my more, my poor mom, she didn't have two nickels to rub together. And I begged her for weeks and weeks and weeks to take me to this haunted house that wasn't far from her house. It was a, this great haunted house I really yacked about. I was so flipping scared crapless <laughs> that they had to like basically like let us out. i mean terrified terror oh my God. you know i mean it just you know she wasn't getting a refund and she couldn't really afford it at the time either i mean i just <laughs> gotta feel bad sorry sorry moms love you feel bad about that one uh that's funny <laughs> so yeah i mean i don't i don't even know man it wasn't until i was you know probably in high school that i thought this stuff was cool that's um, funny. As a, as a kid, I just I couldn't cope, you know. Uh, yeah, it's weird. It's weird. I don't know. 
I, I've always loved horror movies. I've always been scared by them. I still get scared by them. My wife and I have been watching the um, the uh, the Conjuring series because there's a whole bunch of movies involved in that. And I still have the blanket and I'm jumping out of my chair at every scare. Um, I remember being age 13, I begged my parents to take me to see Friday the 13th Part 3 in 3D. And I begged them and begged them. They were like, fine, okay. Because they, they, my parents loved horror movies, so we always watched them. And we're sitting in the theater... And the lights, you know, it's kind of dim, but it's not getting ready for showtime yet. And I just start getting more and more nervous. And I'm like, oh, this is a bad idea. Why did I beg my parents to take me here? I, I don't want to be here. <laughs> Luckily, I, I made it. I toughed it out and made it through the movie. <laughs> That's so funny, man. Yeah, I just, uh, I, I get it, though. I can, I can relate. Uh, that stuff is just, uh, you know what I just saw, actually, with a, a good friend of mine for the first time. They were in town. I had some friends in town. And. And we watched the the trilogy of terror. Yes, with Karen Black. Yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh, man, that's some seriously <laughs> hilarious stuff. There's there's some there's some good startle moments in that, but man, that is so flipping wild. That was oh that's yeah. And that was when I was a kid. That was scary because I remember seeing that on TV, and that was I thought that was terrifying. The Zuni doll chasing her around. <laughs> yeah. Did you see it when it first like when it originally aired on TV? Yes. Yeah. Wow, that'd have been yeah. cool. I go way back. In 1972, I've told this story many times. I was two years old, the backseat of my parents' car at the drive-in, and we saw an anthology horror film with Peter Cushing called Asylum. And I will never forget that. I have vivid memories of that movie. And there's like, I don't know if you've ever, have you ever seen Asylum? I don't think I have actually. Okay, it's an amicus film, not it's not a hammer film, it's amicus with Peter Cushing and it's, you know, a bunch of short stories and in one of them this lady chops up her husband and wraps the body parts in meat paper. And for whatever reason the parts start to come out of the freezer in the basin, basement that she put them in and they start coming towards her and I re- vividly remember that scene. It scared the pants off me as a kid and what's really funny is for years my mother and I couldn't remember the name of the film. We just called it Chopping Heads. Oh, remember chopping heads and the, the the wrapped up hand coming after her? That's funny, man. Yeah, isn't it funny how we, you know, you see something like that as a, it makes an impression as a kid, and that just kind of becomes, you know, it just it influence it sticks with you, and it, it's just that that's probably what I like about the genre is it's it it it, it puts really fun, hopefully fun impressions on you know uh, uh, you know feeble minds, you know, young minds, right, you know? right. So have you ever considered maybe making horror videos as Dr. Scream as a horror host, sort of like an ancillary project? Yeah, I've always wanted to. In fact, I, I have a bunch of outlines for stuff. A good friend of mine, uh, Bob Naismith out of Detroit, uh, operates a, a series of, of low-power broadcast television stations uh, in, in Michigan. And they actually, they actually have quite a bit of cable coverage as well. And kind of the, the neat thing with uh, with digital broadcasting now is, you know, you got all these sub channels and right. um, they, they basically on their on the one big network in Detroit have an independent movie channel that they run. And uh, we've talked about doing that and really kind of stinks. because If, if we would have known COVID was going to go on this long, we probably would have shot a bunch of stuff in March or April um, to put it in the can so we could we could kind of horror host it out. Um, the you probably aware of Wolfman Mac. Yes, of who course. Was on retro TV for a while. Yes. So uh, he he's from our area, and uh, he had a pretty successful run doing that as well. I'll tell you what his operation was like. Uh, was really like in depth. I mean, they had big scenes and a studio, and I mean, they a whole cast of characters. That was really, really, really cool. 
Um, I have some ideas of, of kind of what I do like to do on a, on a little bit smaller basis with a, with a smaller set. And I think, I think that might happen in the future. I could, I could definitely see it happening in the future, especially if, especially if what we're kind of going through right now with the capacity, I mean, it's really hard to launch any sort of a live show right now and right. may even break even just because of this capacity issue. And I think if this, if this lasts much longer, just to kind of cure that, that part of my aching, you know, creative brain, um, I could definitely see doing something like that for 2021. Awesome. awesome. That'd be great. I, I would be the first to tune in. Do you, do you think, I, I don't think this is possible, but you, we were talking about live performances in in real time meaning you're at the theater and there's a lot of live streaming going on do you think a spook show would work via live streaming or no i don't think so i don't think so i it would be great if somebody proved me wrong i i i never want to say never there's so many creative amazing people in this world there might be a guy that could figure it out i just um i it's it, my 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 passion is in live theater i think there's something especially magical when you get a, a a group of people together for a group experience, you know, in front of the live stage. And, uh, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's just old school of me or whatever, but I, it, that doesn't intrigue me in, in, in the least. Okay. That's, yeah, that's kind of what I figured. Cause it's, it's more of an intimate thing where you have to be there in person, especially with the blackout portion for that to be effective. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, otherwise, just watch just watch a video of the show. I mean, what's the difference? I, the whole I don't know. There's a lot of magicians and and doing uh, like Zoom shows and Zoom based entertainment, and it's just hard for me to wrap my brain around. You know, why would I hire a guy, you know, Joe Blow the magician, to do a comedy show for my friends and family that we're all logged on Zoom together? I mean, I guess he can say our names and maybe it's somewhat interactive. I mean, we could do that, or I could put in. I, I could get a recording of a David Copperfield special and watch the best of the best magic ever done anywhere. And isn't that better? I mean, I don't know. I, to me, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't think I'm that, I don't think I'm that old, but, uh, but maybe it's just the old soul in me. It's like, why? I, I just, I kind of don't get it. I, I'm sure that's where we're going and maybe it'll become apparent to me over time that how wrong I am. But, um, you know, and I, I fully do embrace digital in, in so many other areas of my life and, and marketing and business. I just live theaters, live theater. And there's something magical about that experience that really can't be replicated by other means, especially, I think, if you're trying to scare somebody. Right, right. So of, of all the performances that you've done, this is sort of a, a twofold question here, because the, the first question is not going to be so positive, And the second one is very positive. So bear with me. Sure. Of all the performances that you've done. Have you ever had anything go wrong or have a crash and burn? And then the second part of the question is, do you have a favorite show or even a favorite act that you've ever done? We've never had with the spook show. I mean, as, as an entertainer in general. Yeah. I mean, we all have off nights. We all have uh, uh, nights that are, are way better than others. Right. Never had any, never had any catastrophes in the show. I mean, we're sort of kind of rehearsal junkies. So it all kind of more or less goes to plan without a whole heck of a lot of surprises the hardest show on me ever happened to be like one of the best shows we ever did, which was really bizarre. And I've had that happen a couple times. Um, it was, I don't know, the fifth or fifth season, maybe we were, we were out there and I got so unbelievably sick. Uh, I, I think I had the, the actual like straight up influenza and um, my, my, my wife and brother-in-law, I think were, were backstage basically running stuff. And I had like 104 fever. I'm pouring out sweat. I could hardly talk. I could hardly, 
literally I could hardly move and I was puking in buckets all day. And they're like, well, we're going to cancel the show. And I was like, how many tickets do we sold? And they're like, you're sold out. I'm like, I ain't canceling the show. (laughs) (laughs) And, And it was, I had never, it was probably a, almost a dumb thing to do because I, I literally, I came off stage and I just, I like, there was a chair there and I like, kind of collapsed on the chair and kind of like, I literally kind of fell over and they were like, shit, you know, is he all right? You know, whatever. And uh, it was, it was, I didn't really know where I was like, but the actual show itself, like we had the loudest, craziest screams, the best reaction. Like it was the best thing ever. And they, even they were, they were like, Oh my God, that was amazing. And I'm just like, <laughs> you know, I'm dead. And, and it was, it, it was, it was legit bad. I had to actually, I think that I ended up spending in the ER. I got wow. dehydrated. It, it was, it was not good. Um, so yeah, I mean, but stuff happens, you know, whatever. Um, right. My favorite show, you know, I'll tell you the weirdest thing that happened. Okay. So, I started doing the spirit cabinet routine, which is basically where you materialize spirits in this kind of cloth curtain and and funny stuff happens to an audience member that you bring into this cabinet with you, allegedly by ghosts. And traditionally, you would kind of like hypnotize the spectator and then these ghosts would come about and do funny things. Well, I noticed something happening. And actually, my, my, my wife, who's assisting me on stage, is the first to kind of realize it. She's like, something weird happens when you look at these guys and you tell them, you snap your fingers and tell them to sleep. Sometimes like, it looks like they're really going out. Like you're like, like you're like a hypnosis performer or whatever. Now I had seen hip shows. I think they kind of bore me to death. I have a couple (laughs) of hypnotic, you know, things that are like pretty tongue in cheek and like play along and whatever. But it was really weird. I remember one night in particular, I mean, this guy, it was like he was actually hypnotized. Like it was, it was really strange. Like he was out dude. And then, and then like we were kind of like suggesting that he do stuff. And like, he was just doing it like a robot. Like he was out and it was the funniest borderline spooky thing ever. And I'm just thinking, of, you know, and then we talked to him afterwards and like at a regular hypnosis show, you know, people are like, Oh, I don't remember anything. And I was thinking, ah, bullshit. of course they remember this playing line. No, this guy was like that. He's like, I don't remember anything that happened. Wow what the hell is going on? Like, is somebody screwing with me? But I don't think so. That's scary. You need to explore that more. (laughs) I know. I know. I really should. I just think that uh, it's a conversation for another day. Right, right. (laughs) Hip shows just bore the hell out of me. I don't know what, they're great. I'm sure there's a million people who could tell me a million different things about how personally, it's just like, okay, you know, I can only sit there and and watch somebody cluck like a chicken for so long before I'm just kind of bored. Right. (laughs) Do you have like a a gimmick or or, or a a trick or something that you do that you you just, you've done it a thousand times, but you just love it so much. And you're like, oh man, I I can't wait. I get to do, you know, X, Y, and Z trick today. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I, uh, it's a a trick that I do in my normal shows um, and, and I brought it over to the spook show. Uh, it's a card manipulation routine. It's basically kind of juggling with playing cards. It's 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 a hundred percent pure sleight of hand. It takes a, a reasonable amount of concentration and skill. There's no comedy. It's just it's me with a deck of cards doing kind of amazing stuff. It always gets a huge reaction, and I genuinely look forward to it because it's always a challenge. And awesome. um, I just love it. I absolutely love it. It's uh, it's it's like the highlight of my, you know, it's it's the highlight of my show just because I kind of. I sometimes want to rush to the rest just so I can do that because I just enjoy it. 
That's great. So, Keith, I, I think we could literally talk for hours, but we're just about running out of time here. So we want to get the word out to younger audiences about spook shows. And what, what would you say about your show is, is the enticing thing in order to get younger audiences to attend? You, uh, hmm, the enticing thing. Look, you're going to see, if, if you come out to a Dr. Scream spook show revival show, you are going to see the kind of live entertainment that people used to talk about, but you never really thought existed, but it does exist. It does exist. It's that fun. It's campy. It's a throwback to yesteryear. And you're going to see what your, your grandparents or great grandparents talked about and realize that, that, yeah, it is cool and fun. It's just as cool and fun as they, you know, as they, uh, as they envisioned it and, you know, bring a date, you know, come ready to scream and have a good time. And, uh, it's it's not just a it's not just another cheesy horror movie. I mean, it's really it's a it's a fun night out. It's a connection to the past, and uh, you know at the same time, I think it inspires people to to do new forms of art too. So it's just a it's just a hoot. It's just something different, you know. Everything's all the same today, you know. I mean, how many horror movies are you gonna go watch? Oh, I'm sitting there. Okay, it's spooky. Blah 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 blah. This is right. live and this is live and in your face, you know. It's it's live and in your face. And that's uh, awesome. And that's the cool part about it. That's awesome. Well, Keith, I'm so, so happy to have you on the show here and to talk about spook shows and what you do. Can you tell our audience where they can find you online and how they can get to see your shows? Yeah, a couple things. Number one, the easiest way, uh, check out on Facebook. Uh, just search on Facebook, Dr. Scream's Spook Show Revival. Uh, if you search that on Facebook, you're going to find us. Uh, you'll find a bunch of video stuff from us on YouTube there. Also, spookshowrevival.com. I know it's a little funky with the WordPress right now, but that'll be cleared up by the time this goes out. Okay. Spookshowrevival.com. Um, there's some cool swag and merchandise uh, stuff there. Also, if you Google that on Amazon, uh, we, we put out a couple things. I have a pretty extensive collection of uh, spook show movie trailers, the kind of things that used to advertise the show. There's uh, DVDs are available on Amazon as far as as far as that goes. So you can check it out. But yeah, if you just uh, if you you drop into any search bar, Dr. Scream's Spook Show Revival, uh, you'll find us and um, get on our mailing list, uh, like our page uh, and, and you'll get bombarded when uh, when something's come on up. I promise we, we're pretty good about that. Excellent. Excellent. Well, it's been, been a pleasure talking with you. We hope you'll come back to the show in the future, not only to promote your upcoming shows, but to also maybe talk about the the girl to gorilla shows or or Don Davison's sex ed shows. I think we've got a lot more we, we need to talk about there, Keith. Dude, I would absolutely love to. I'm just I'm passionate about that stuff. I absolutely love it. So anytime you want to chat about that stuff, let's do it. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you for joining us today. Yep. You're welcome, man. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Then Is Now podcast. We advise you to check out Dr. Scream's Spook Show Revival and give him all the support you can. Don't forget, if you want to chime in about this episode or give us ideas for future episodes, please email us at thenisnow42 at gmail.com. You can also check out our website, havenpodcasts.com, and listen to our sister show, The East Meets the West, in which we discuss spaghetti westerns and Shaw Brothers films. Also, don't forget to go to wherever you download your podcasts from and leave us great reviews. That way more people can find our shows. I'm Rigor, signing off. Class dismissed.
nasty, blood-curdling, sadistic surgery. Someone's head will be cut off with a butcher knife and thrown to the audience. Don't lose your head. <laughs> Do you believe that the out-of-space monster who died, yet alive, will come to seek the warm blood he needs to keep himself alive? Don't treat this lightly. How are you fixed for blood? <laughs> the dead will return from graves. Ghosts and skeletons will fly above you, and some may sit by your side and plant cold, damp kisses upon your cheek. <laughs>